Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. This is an Irish independent podcast. I did enjoy giving a little thumbs up to those guys after we mentioned that it was probably the nail in Leicester's cough, <laughs> which may have been a bit harsh that Gary Ringrose is coming back. One of my pettiest Twitter moments of all time. Probably gotten sick of a couple of weeks in a row going, oh, well, this could be a tight one. And I was thinking, no, I don't think it will be a tight one. I think they're going to pump them. Um, and I just said, said what I thought. An exciting Champions Cup quarter-final weekend has left us with a mouth-watering Final Four lineup. Leinster's reward for blowing away Leicester on Good Friday is a blockbuster clash with French giants Toulouse, with defending champions La Rochelle lurking on the other side of the draw as they host Exeter Chiefs. For now, we're going to discuss all the major talking points in the weekend and look ahead to some interesting matchups to come. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast. Will Slattery here with you, and I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Bradley and Luke Fitzgerald. And Jonathan, it was an interesting Champions Cup quarterfinal weekend. Four home wins out of four to go with the eight home wins in the last 16 we had uh, the week before. So the European games were certainly coming thick and fast. What was maybe the kind of the major takeaway for you from last weekend's action? I think probably the uh, gap in the scoreline that we saw in across the games. You know, uh, we didn't really have those... I suppose, thrilling finishes that we've come to associate with European rugby. Yes, the uh, the Toulouse game was a lot closer than it appeared on the score on the scoreboard at the end of the game. But I suppose the main, my main takeaway was how definitive each of the games were. Yeah, Luke, and I know like the Exeter-Stormers game, that was maybe a bit unexpected because Stormers were favourites and they had a lot of travel issues. But for me, what's jumping out is that there seems to be a major gulf between Leinster, Toulouse and La Rochelle, I think, and the rest of Europe at the moment. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, when you look at those semi-finals, I mean, I think um, also Rans is a very harsh way to describe extra. But given that the way their season has gone, particularly in the league, um, you know, I think that that looks like a really tall task. I was very impressed with um, uh, La Rochelle. I thought they were, you know, they looked very, very strong. That weighty pack kind of did tell. I thought they were clinical when they needed to be. They looked a little bit stingier uh, defensively. Uh, and, and I still think I'd be extremely concerned about them if I was, you know, if, if you know, if whoever's on the other side of the draw, whether it's, I think, Toulouse would be less concerned about them. Um, but Leinster, I think, uh, they pose a problem for, for, for Leinster, I think, just given that bulk and power that they have and the strength of the breakdown. I think they can really stifle you there. Um, I'm sure we'll get into the nitty gritty a bit more, but, uh, you know, I just thought Bottia, um, you know, he's just so difficult to stop at the breakdown, isn't he? You know, and then, you know, you have guys like Skelton and that. Like, Leinster has traditionally just struggled a little bit with those guys. Um and I still think they'll be a problem for, for Leinster. Uh, and I think, as I mentioned, that little bit of stinginess defensively, I do that kind of, um, you know, I, 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 I'm deliberately bringing that up because I think that's where Leinster really need to improve. And I think if you want to win the competition, you have to be stingy defensively. And La Rochelle looked to me like they're already in that place, if you know what I mean. Um, and Leinster just haven't got a scare. I think this Toulouse game is a real big tester for Leinster from, from that perspective. And um, yeah, just to... to 
you know come back and circle back to that to your actual question like there is a gulf between those those three teams and the rest of uh, Europe at the moment and it's I don't think it's getting any closer will I think it's actually widening a bit yeah, certainly with the scorelines, as Jonathan mentioned. And Jonathan, it's a funny one. Obviously, like, you know, Leinster, a lot of them made of their advantages. And we, we can touch on, you know, Richard Wigglesworth's comments. And I know you were there when Don McFarlane spoke about some Leinster things uh, related to that after their game against Ulster. But it, it's nowhere near a foregone conclusion well, for me anyway. I don't know what you think, Jonathan, about the rest of the tournament. I'll be Leinster of home advantage. Toulouse and La Rochelle are both right in form. Their squads are packed full of talent, you know, major stars. It's not as if Leinster have a huge talent disparity against these teams. They, like La Rochelle have beaten Leinster two years in a row. I think it's very much in the melting pot. The home advantage could be, you know, crucial by the end of it. But I think the idea that Leinster are major favourites, even though in the bookies they actually are, I, I, I don't agree with that myself. For all that it's taken us to get here and all the complaints that we have about the format, some of the less than competitive pool matches that we saw, shall we say, like it does feel like now the tournament is really ready to kick off and go into a different gear because Leinster, I think, will be challenged by Toulouse. I think they will still come through that game, I would say. Like you point out, well, I think home advantage is going to be big in that game, even though... For my money, this is a much better Toulouse side and a much more informed Toulouse side the one than the one that we saw take on Lancer last year in this competition. But the La Rochelle test is still massive and it's still a test that we haven't seen Leinster pass. You mentioned the discourse that's um, sort of come around Leinster in the last couple of uh, months, things that Dan McFarland said two weeks ago, things that Richard Wiggleworth said. At the weekend, you would almost think that we're talking about a team that's won the last five European Cups. Like, you know, we're not talking about a six in a row Dublin team here. We're talking about a team that didn't win anything last year. You know, they didn't beat La Rochelle in Europe. They didn't beat the Bulls in the ERC. So now we're at a stage of the season where I think there are two massive tests in Europe for Leinster to pass. One even greater because... It has that sort of, I suppose, if you like, emotional baggage of the past two years and the fact that they haven't been able to get past La Rochelle. It's funny you mentioned the Dublin comparison because that it does kind of remind me of some of the, the conversations that were happening. But as you said, there was a major difference there that Dublin had won a, a huge amount of All-Ireland titles. Look, what did you make of, you know, we touched on the Dominic McFarland stuff last week, but then Richard Wigglesworth. And again, I'm conscious of the fact that like I wasn't at the press conference. I don't know exactly how these conversations developed or, or the back and forths. But the quotes are the quotes. He was pointing out, you know, he was really kind of hammering it home after the game. Like, what, what did you make of it? Like, on the face of it, I suppose he's saying some things that he's saying are definitely true. But is, is it the right time when you've just taken a beating like that to kind of be pointing out things like that, do you think? No, I didn't think so, actually, because, look, if you look at the game, you look, look just look specifically at the tries. I mean, they were, they were awful. They were awful, Will. They really were poor. Like, you know, the, the first two ring rows tries are... Just poor, poor defensive mistakes. Like, you know, anytime you let a team through you, I'm blue in the face saying this, Will, on, on this podcast, but it's a mistake. It's a defensive error that, that's caused someone to go through your defensive line, particularly when there was no need. There was no need. Guys just make buying dummies out of nowhere. Like, particularly the thing of that first ring rose try. Um, you know, the Jimmy O'Brien runs through an absolute gaping hole off a really basic set play, like a, you know, a 9 to 10, 12 short winger at the back, like splitting a top class, you know, team to, like, like that. 
I just thought that, that was just crap defense, you know, and I, and, I, and I thought that throughout the game, you know, you even think of the, um, the, the break in the second half to put, um, you know, Gibson Park through for his try as well, Will. Uh, look, I get the point to a certain extent, and I think Dan McFarlane probably has more to complain with, about than than say Wigglesworth. To be honest with you, I, I would say, you know, the the first look should always be internally, and I think if they do look internally, they'll find that they made some terrible mistakes, and they have to look at the coaching staff or the players. One or the other uh, was not following instructions, or one or if the coaching staff, uh, you know, were you know were at fault, they were giving the wrong instructions, like really, really basic mistakes. So I just think people can moan all they want about it, um, you know, and about how much quality and strength and depth Leinster have. Leinster, uh, you know, and La Rochelle and, and Toulouse, they don't make those basic mistakes that the other teams are making, and they're coached better. They're, the players are, there's, there's world-class players in that Leicester team, but this Leinster team are, are better coached than them. And I think Leinster still have a journey to go on defensively. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. But Wigglesworth's comments I thought were they didn't land right with me and I thought Leo Cullen was actually right to, to pick up on it and say well look you know I can't remember exactly what he but he was he was I know he was miffed about it and I think he said something himself he did respond to it didn't he Will I think yeah um so yeah look I, I think he was right to respond to that and I think um you know Lancaster touched it the week before saying that the coaching is is what he feels he's obviously probably going to say that but the coach they're well coached team Leinster um but no I think he's right they are very well coached and there was like it's not that long ago that Leinster were really struggling for three or four years, Will, and we were thinking, you know, the Matt O'Connor days and that, uh, you know, and they've really turned a corner due to, I think, the coaching appointments they've made and the improvements they've made with the resources that they have, which, yes, are very, very strong given the schools game um, and I think the, the way they bring talent through, but they're coached brilliantly. Uh, and that's it. To my mind, it's poor defensive uh, reads in the middle of the game, and someone has to take accountability for that. And blaming Leinster for for the budget is not is not where I'd be going. I don't think it adds value to to yourself and the journey that you're on. Yeah, I think there's loads of things that can be true at once. Like you know, Leinster's coaching staff have, have improved a lot of these guys. Like as Stuart Lancaster said, they weren't Ireland internationals when. They all came into the squad. They had to be developed. Like Hugo Keenan is a perfect example of someone who's been coached up really, really well and become one of the best fullbacks in the world. But I suppose, you know, I, I think Brother Jackman pointed out in a column of his, like it'd be naive not to think that the, the team that Leinster have with all those internationals doesn't command one of the largest budgets in Europe. Just looking at the players, they're not playing for pittance. They don't get as much as what they might do if they were playing for some of the big French clubs who do have probably bigger budgets, but they do have a big budget. So I think it, it can all be true. But I do agree with you, Luke, that coming out right after the game when your team hasn't played well and made a load of mistakes and pointing to those things, I just don't think it looks good for your own squad or your own team. Or it do, I just thought it did, like, kind of... If the big, if the team with the bigger budget won every single game, there wouldn't be, you know, any reason to turn up half the time. That, that's not... We may as well just walk... Yeah, exactly. Just, just let, Let's just call it now and, and we'll, we'll walk home, you know what I mean? So, look, I think you're right, Will. And I think it's... you know what it says to me? It's kind of defeatist. Uh, if you're if you're a Leicester player, if you hear your coach saying that, oh well, well, look, they've got the big budget. We, you know, you know, we're, we're fighting a losing battle here, um, and that's never where you want to be. I think so. Um, I think it was a weird comment to make. I think he must have been hurting after it. Um, he's actually very good, and I, and I hope he does a good job there. He's a good guy, but um, I think that was a mistake, and I think it'll, you know, I, I think he's better off brushing that one under the carpet going forward, you know, and and focusing on on what's going on in their own team. I do think it's something we'll probably see more of because this. The salary cap and the financial implications of what's going on in England is going to have a greater impact 
than it did in previous years. That's just the reality of the situation. So, you know, I do have a little bit of sympathy for Wigglesworth in the sense that he's talking about a team that won the league last year and still couldn't afford to match offers that were made to George Ford, couldn't afford to match offers that were made to Ellis Gen. So, you know, that's he's looking at Leinster, who I suppose really don't have to worry too much about holding on to their own international players. You know, we see James Ryan uh, announced with a new central contract today. Never in doubt. Like, it's a completely different landscape. So I do have sympathy for the for the English coaches in that regard. And I think the point that you make, Will, is really important because you do have to know as well how this came up in conversation. I wasn't at the, at the Leicester game, so I don't know how that... Um, how that emanated. It seemed like he maybe did sort of lead that himself. But like I know from the week before at the Dan McFarlane press conference, like Dan McFarlane was asked a direct question about what is it like to exist in the same ecosystem as Leinster? How difficult is that? How challenging is it? So, you know, in that regard, not that he was led into the answer, but his answer was essentially, it is what it is. We do exist in the same competition as Leinster, and obviously there are inherent advantages that Leinster have, like in the same way that Richard Wigglesworth would love to not have to worry and have a sweat on about keeping his international players. Dan McFarlane would probably love to coach a team with the school system feeding into it that Leinster have. We know that he doesn't, but what you say is also 100% correct. Two things can be true at once. I don't think either of them were probably trying to denigrate the job that Leinster's coaches are doing. We all know that Leinster are a brilliantly coached side. We all know that they're working hard to get results through the season. But it's probably just the nature nature of the game a little bit. People are seeing the headlines of these quotes without thinking about, uh, I suppose, how, how they were given, why they were given in response to what questions. And you're seeing as probably a small picture of the point that was being made, I guess. Yeah, and as you mentioned, like the salary cap has come down a good bit in England now, so it is a very different landscape. You have teams from different hemispheres, from different countries, all operating in different league structures with various budgets. And, you know, I, I don't think you'd ever hear, like, maybe Toulouse or La Rochelle make the same comments talking about Leinster than you might hear or Richard Wigglesworth or Dan McFarland. They're all coming at it from slightly different angles. But it, it is an interesting you know, talking point. I think, it would, yeah, it, it would be naive not to mention it or not to say, oh, Richard Wigglesworth is talking out of his arse and he's, he's it's all bullshit. Like, because that's, I don't think that's the case. Like, it's just time, is that the time to say it? You know, and obviously it does kind of sound like you're kind of not denigrating what the coaches have done, but like what the Leinster coaching staff have done and coaching these guys up, as I mentioned, it, it has been a, a phenomenal coaching job over the last number of years. And as Hugh said, Jonathan, they haven't actually won a whole pile you know compared to what they've been doing so there's still a long journey for them to go in terms of matching that kind of success and coaching the guys up and maintaining them and, and winning some silverware so there's a lot, a lot of rugby to be played in that regard in terms of, of friday night then luke and, and how leinster went about their business you know what kind of stood out to you the most well i thought they were very clinical weren't they when um when leicester did make the mistakes there was just never going to be um uh, any other result than, than they say a leinster try um you know written a few notes here and i just thought um Le- Leicester defense atrocious <laughs> is is top of the top of the pile which I've already covered um I think there was maybe a little bit of luck you know a bit of complacency maybe with the 
the the Doris tackle. I thought he was quite lucky with that one. Actually, I think he probably got saved by Penny's tackle, kind of altering the uh, the way he was kind of entering that. You know, the kind of last minute. You know, the kind of shoving him, kind of a wee across. Um, and he did look like he tried to wrap, and he did dip slightly. But I still think that was a little bit lucky. Um, I, I would be. I, I think they will get themselves in the right headspace, but I, they do need to go to another gear defensively. I think as well uh, against Toulouse. I think. You know, you look at what Entomac did to, to the Sharks and what DuPont can do. We know what those guys can do. I mean, they're just um, <laughs> instinctive uh, instinctive players. If they go through gaps, they're just going to punish you. Kind of kind of similar to Leinster, I think. So they can run up a score on you. They've got Ramos at the back with the kicking as well. I have to say, we must tip the cap to that little um, that, that pass across the goal line. Not sure I'd recommend it. Uh, hopefully he, got, he goes for another one against, <laughs> against Leinster in the Aviva. But uh, what a piece of skill and calmness under pressure. But my point is, I think that, um, you know, I think they will have to go up another gear. It's one of those things you always hear players saying after a, after a game in advance of another one, just to tip the cap to the opposition team. But they really do. Toulouse are very, very dangerous. They've got a heavy pack. Uh, and I think that's a big, big challenge for them. Um, you know, I think as well, um, you know, I would be concerned if they get through that with La Rochelle. I still think those those things are, are Lencer still have a few questions to answer in that respect. I thought their mall looked good at times in the weekend. Um, but I think their defensive mall, I think that's something that, that you know, I'd like to just see a little bit more again, of them against Toulouse in a couple of weeks to see how they can handle the bigger packs. Um, but they're my kind of my, my, my thoughts, Will, for, from the game. I, I still think there is a bit of a journey to go on with Leinster and I think they haven't this team have kind of struggled in the big games. Um, you know, they seem to be able to kind of blast through everyone uh, up until, you know, it really counts. And, you know, can they deliver these kind of, um, these attacking displays uh, when it really counts, when there's teams that are not going to let them go through them? They're going to have to, you know, go to two or three more phases, four or five more phases at times, maybe against those these better teams with better players um, and, uh, you know, kind of tougher mentalities and belief in themselves. Um, that's still... A question this Leinster team have to answer in, in my mind and um, you know I think they look better positioned to do it based off and I'm probably basing that off Ireland's performances Ireland did deliver by the last game really they delivered some brilliant attacking performances when it counted in the Six Nations uh, Leinster make up the bulk of that team and I think they should be able to do it well um, but as we mentioned a couple of times unproven uh, for the last couple of years you know they, they have a big step to go and um, you know I think if they do win this uh, Heineken Cup they'll have done it the right way going through Toulouse and, and La Rochelle there'll be no questions about who the best team is if they can do it but um, those are the questions that, that I suppose the, the weekend raised for me is um, you know they just seem to be able to steamroll some of these teams they won't be able to do it the last two can they now up the levels to that international standard that we know that they can um, when the pressure counts at the end of the season um, yeah I don't know any thoughts on any of that Jonathan um, obviously a tough week for you last weekend um, but I mean any of that kind of landing with you or yeah absolutely like like yourself I was shocked by Leicester's defence especially their interior defence and I think you saw like the amount of joy that the likes of Gary Ringo's and the likes of Jimmy O'Brien I thought was really impressive as well and the amount of joy that they got through there but I really agree on that point that it in both those games against Ulster and against Leicester, the striking thing I think was the fact that you really got the sense that that Leinster had another couple of gears to go through, and we haven't seen them need to go through them. Now we de- we definitely will against uh, against Toulouse and against La Rochelle, but it is just I suppose that 
sense of the sense of the unknown almost because it felt like they were really able to hold both Ulster and Leicester almost at arm's length over the past two weeks. Like, yes, there was a time that Leicester were within seven, and yes, there was a time that Ulster were within eight. But it always felt like Leinster were just going to be able to score again if they had to. It, it never really, to me, felt like there was a huge amount of jeopardy in either of those games. And sorry to, to interrupt you just just quickly because I think that's a really important point. I do, and I'd like to get some clarity on it. Do, do, do you think that that's more a reflection on Ulster and Leicester? or a reflection on Leinster in terms of that comfort? Because I would agree with you. I felt comfortable even though those games were tight for those periods. What did you think about that? Is that who, who, Whose fault is that, if you like? I think it's a little bit of both in the sense that I, you know, what we've sort of spoken about here in this idea of almost a two or three tier competition, like Ulster and Leicester can be fairly decent teams, but they're not on the same level at the minute to me. Um, so it's a reflection of where those two teams are. But I think it's also a reflection of the pressure that Leinster put you under at the minute and the way that they play the game. I don't think it allows you to impose yourself across an 80 minutes. You might have little small patches, but I don't think it allows you to properly impose yourself across a game. And I think it's maybe a challenge that, a lot of teams in that sort of Ulster-Leicester bracket, and I know Leicester are champions, so maybe that seems a little bit unfair to put them in that group, but I don't think there's a lot of teams that can really deal with that effectively at the moment. Yeah, and I also think that even from last year, like it's funny, like Leinster-Toulouse, I agree, it's going, to, it's going to be very tight, I think, but Leinster played them in the semi-final last year, as we touched on at the start, and beat them out the gate. Probably the best performance of the... Lancaster Cullen era but as you said Jonathan's a very different Toulouse team they had played some very taxing European games they'd gone to penalties the week before against Munster and then they had to come back to Ireland and it was just kind of set up for Leinster maybe th- that day and I think they're playing a lot better now they're not so quite as tired coming off Grand Slam too you know exactly a long Grand Slam campaign as well and and La Rochelle I also think are actually a good bit better than last year too they've made some very astute business you know they brought in Ulton Delan Johan Tang in the back row from Racing to beef up that back row area Antoine Hastoy who's come in is a much better goal kicker I know Ohio West to be fair when he played Leinster his goal kicking was always on the money but some of those other games he, he was very poor and they've gotten a much more solid out half there another year around Nogara at the helm as the head man I think La Rochelle and T- Toulouse and La Rochelle are kind of well clear at the top of the French League at the moment. So even in a very competitive league like that, last year I think they were both you know fifth or sixth at this time. So they've both taken a step forward now. It's why I think it's it's so competitive and it, it's set up to be such a great couple of weeks in, in the Champions Cup. One thing though, Luke, I would like to ask you about the Leinster performance was Gary Ringrose in particular. You know, coming off that head knock against Scotland, there was I suppose concerns that maybe he'd be on ice for the rest of the season or a long period. But he got back fit and he just showed no kind of signs of that. Maybe playing in his mind, he he was just absolutely sensational from the first minute as you touched on with that try but even putting some big hits as well he just you know, operating at some level at the moment yeah he's fearless isn't he he's uh there's so much to like about gary uh always has been he's been uh you know i think the distribution thing uh, was always an issue i've had with him but i think he's gone to another level on that stuff as well um 
and obviously he's the key he's kind of the linchpin for that defence isn't he uh, for, for Ireland too so uh, really really impressive to see him be able to come back after what looked like a heavy knock although he did say it wasn't as bad as, as it looked on TV I'm not so sure I believe him on that one that looked like a bad a bad knock to, to, to my mind but look he's tough as all boots for a guy who can do all the fancy stuff he really does like getting down and dirty and, and he's uh, he's very important for Leinster I think once Johnny Sexton's not there I think he's lovely like he's nice to have uh, alongside uh, Ross Byrne who obviously we know is very experienced at this point in his Leinster career but still uh, you know he's reassuring uh, to, to have for that Leinster back line and I think uh, I was really really impressed with him and, and if, if you know what also will uh, on a petty point I felt good after last week's uh, after last week's show I'm sure you got uh, some of the tags that on, on Twitter I, I, I did enjoy giving a little thumbs up to those guys after we mentioned that it was probably the nail in Leicester's coffin <laughs> which may have been a bit harsh that Gary Ringroves is coming back one of my pettiest Twitter moments of all time but I have to say it was um, it was great to see him back. We were really getting it in the neck for after that show last week. We were, weren't we? But I, I, I arrogant was Irish. A... To be fair, like it was, it was a quite an arrogant, you know, <laughs> podcast. But at the same time, Leinster won by thirty points in the end. So like we weren't. Kind of, <laughs> we were and I feel like you were leading that. the charge. I was kind of just uh, the host. He wasn't really saying much, but you were kind of really <laughs> giving it go barrels. Yeah, I was probably leading the charge in that one. I, I just, I'd probably gotten sick of a couple of weeks in a row going, oh, well, this could be a tight one. And I was thinking, no, I don't think it will be a tight one. I think they're going to pump them. Um, and I just said, said what I thought. And once Gary was back, it was nice to be proven right for once. And the commentator's curse didn't come through. But look, he, he was brilliant. Leinster looked like they're playing very well. Um, and they are in good shape. Um you know, I think, look, you'd like a few of those guys back, hopefully, for that Toulouse game. I think Baird has become very important. I don't know what Johnny thinks of that one. Um, but, he, he look, he looks like a perfect, um, you know, number six for, for this Lancer team. That, that, that back row is so low with talent. I thought Penny was pretty good in the weekend as well. Um, still a little small to my mind, but, um, you know... If, Jeez, what a player to have! And he finished that try very well, um, despite some poor defence from 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 Leicester after that more. But um, yeah, look, they're in great shape, Will, aren't they? And I think Gary is Gary along with James Ryan are two of the kind of budding leaders in this Leinster team. I think together, and I think um, you know you you would have been concerned with the vacuum that Johnny left, but I think they look like they're stepping into that 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 hole that he is going to leave. Um, and I think Leinster look very well positioned from a leadership perspective, which I think is going to be important for them uh, over the next couple of weeks if they want to get over this hoodoo that I think they've, they've kind of created themselves over the last couple of weeks, you know, or last couple of years, excuse me. Jonathan, what have you made of Ross Byrne the last two weeks? Obviously, with Johnny Sexton's absence, there's going to be a lot expected of him. If Leinster are to finally win the Champions Cup back, he'll be starting it out half, barring an injury to himself. But, you know, his goal kicking, if anything, has been very, very impressive. Very poor conditions against Ulster and, and nailed a couple of tricky ones against Leicester too. Have you been impressed with how he's kind of navigated the, the team? Because even though Leinster have been big favourites in both games, it still requires someone to kind of keep the ship pointed in the right direction. Yeah, I have, you know, because, you know, we talk about that level of comfort that it looks like Leinster have had and, if any position is going to undermine that, it's going to be at 10. You know, they still look like a very cohesive unit. They still look, as I said, like they have more gears to go through in attack, but they are still pulling off some very sort of slick interplay. They haven't really looked like they've missed too much of a beat in attack. And we're talking about replacing a 10 who, for my money over the past year, is playing the position as well as anybody in the world. So I think you have to be impressed with what Ross Byrne has done. And obviously I think that the Six Nations experience will stand to him. Um, probably took 
maybe not even in his own mind, but in the uh, mind of the public, I suppose, took a step forward during that Six Nations. And I think has carried that on because, you know, it was one of the one of the shows we did last year. Like, look, you made a really good point. Going back through history, like you don't have too many teams winning this competition without a really, really top level 10. Like, obviously, we, t- <laughs> uh, we touched on Ohio West a wee bit there. <laughs> um with La Rochelle last year, but it is something of an oddity. Like it's a position that you really do need to have as a strength um, to come out on top in Europe. And if uh, if Leinster do go on to win it in the Aviva Stadium come the end of May, like I think that sort of switch between Johnny Sexton and Ross Byrne is going to be a big part of the story. Yeah, do you want to come in on that one? Look, I think Ohio West is a great point. You know, I think um, what I would say is I think he's he's very good player. You know, excellent, good defender and all that as well. Uh, but it was always the kicking off the tee, wasn't it? That was what really concerned you with with, uh, with Ohio West. But they look like they've resolved that, as we, uh, resolved that, as Will mentioned earlier on. So that's why you'd be even more concerned about this La Rochelle team. They were able to tick up that scoreboard pressure. Now, he did have one of those weird performances against Leinster where he was like, he knocked everything over. But I, I do agree. I think it is such a key pivotal position. Um, you know, and there's been some moving parts in the Irish game, isn't there? I mean, I think the last couple of weeks with Crowley coming in there ahead of, uh, you know, uh, Carberry, uh, you know, is, is that a, a sign of things to come in the future? Have they made a decision on that? I wonder. Uh, has there been a little bit of a push from maybe the Irish camp behind that as well with the World Cup coming? Uh, maybe he's justified that selection, you know, given that he is in the Irish team ahead of him as well so we don't know but uh, I, I do think those positions look uh, you know I'm less concerned about them for, from Leinster and Munster going forward I think they look like they might have picked their guys and they look like they're playing very well um, and I do I do like both players I think they've got a good kind of mentality uh, about them they have a, a good belief in their own game uh, Ross Byrne just to, to come back to him I think um, you know because he, he could be a very key guy for this Leinster uh, or for this Irish team as well I think coming into in, into the World Cup he just looks a bit more comfortable in, in himself uh, and we've discussed him at length the, the, the last few weeks particularly during the Six Nations Jonathan and we've I think both Will and I I'm sure maybe Will might disagree but I think we've been both been really impressed with him this year I think he looks like he's come on in terms of a leadership role you can see him you know G and the team up uh, during team talks you can see him look to the crowd like he's more comfortable in his own skin there and I think uh, the more time he gets like like Johnny getting injured actually might be you know the best thing for this Leinster team and that um, you know they kind of have to trust Ross now they don't have that option of, of you know picking a game here from a picking a game there from he he is the guy um, and um yeah, I mean, you'd always miss Johnny, but I think he's been excellent and I've been really impressed with him. I think he looks like he's, he's got a calm head on his shoulder as well. Uh, so he could be the guy that leads this Leinster team to the to the promised land this year and, and, and what a lift it would be for him, for, for a guy who's been, you know, um, I think, you know, overlooked by lots of people as someone who could take the, the berth or seen as a possible future problem for Leinster I think this could be his you know defining period in terms of grabbing that Leinster 10 jersey and that Irish 10 jersey uh, and he looks well positioned to do so and he looks in a good frame of mind to do so so um, yeah I mean you know from both jerseys perspective the blue and the and the green um, really promising uh, games for him over the last couple of weeks I think he looks very you know composed and um, yeah we'll just see how he finishes off this season in, in the real pressure games that's when we're really going to judge him uh, and uh, see how far he has come along and, and solidify what we all think has happened this season in terms of a jump forward in his game 
Yeah, it's funny because when you look back at obviously the Johnny Sexton's rise in the sense it came when Felipe Cantapomi got injured, you know, against Munster and Johnny came in and finished out a Champions Cup winning campaign and never really looked back. And if Ross, I know Ross is a lot more experienced probably in bigger games than Johnny did back then, but if he can see out the rest of the season, if Leinster can get some silverware, it would put him in a very good position. But also for Ireland later in the year, if, if Johnny Sexton does get injured and Ross Byrne has the experience of seeing out a Champions Cup campaign potentially against some big heavyweight teams will, will give them sky high confidence you think to maybe come in and, and, and do a, a good job for Ireland Jonathan just to move away from the Irish p- teams for a second and you know the South African interest in the competition finished up at the weekend the Sharks as you mentioned losing to Toulouse in a very entertaining game and the Stormers losing to Exeter it, it kind of was the good and the bad of the South Africans involvement over the last few weeks whereby you know they had some really impressive home performances some really good rugby some excitement there but the travel issues you know reared their head again there was misconnections I believe and there was just kind of planes trains and automobiles and getting around the world back to get their matches in Europe how do you kind of assess their place in the Champions Cup now after the end of year one are you are you more positive than negative or what's your view I'd be more positive than negative, certainly more positive um, than I was when the idea was initially mooted. I think it's worked much better than I thought it would. What I would say on that, Will, is it's very easy to say, oh, it's travel issues, it's cross-hemisphere, but you know, we can't overlook the schedule of this tournament and how much of an impact that has had on this because we're talking about teams winning a game on a Saturday and Sunday and then having to work out where, one where they're going and how they're going to get there thereafter so I wouldn't even really point to the travel issues as an issue with South Africans in the competition for me it's an issue around the tournament scheduling and the ridiculous notion that they play knockout games back to back like it's bad enough for match going fans and we sort of heard as soon as Leinster beat Ulster you know Leo Cullen was in joking about Johnny Saxon having to be out selling tickets. So we know the sort of impact that it has on the accounts of teams getting fans through the gates when they're relying on match day income. But in terms of like trying to organize a cross hemisphere competition where teams are having to come in three separate groups arriving on Wednesday. And an awful lot of that is coming back to the fact that, you know, the last 16 and the quarterfinals, regardless of what you think about having a last 16, but the, the last 16 in the quarterfinals are played a week apart. Yeah, and for the Stormers, like they didn't know whether they were playing at home in South Africa or away against Exeter because that game went to extra time on a Sunday afternoon. So they had finished their game the day before. So it was only very late on a Sunday for them when they actually even knew how they were flying. And I believe they were the team of memory service that had the travel issues with a misconnection or something like that. It, it, it's a funny one, Luke, because I do think the South African teams have added so much to the to the on field product. I do, I, especially in the URC level, where we've been kind of crying out for that little extra bit of quality, and we've some real dramatic games over the next couple of weeks with Munster going down there and, and Leinster bringing some young guys down there that that should be pretty exciting as well. But the Champions Cup, just the nature of the schedule, I feel like makes it very difficult to have it like you know at its best when you have teams having to travel cross hemisphere to play the following weekend. Whereas at least with the league, they're usually like two week blocks, and it's a little more manageable. I it just yeah, it just seems very squeezed in, and in, literally in some cases, I saw a video of some of the Lions players flying back from their Challenge Cup <laughs> quarter final, and they had about a <laughs> you know point five of an inch for their leg room. But yeah, what, what do you make of the whole thing? Ah, look, it, it is it it is difficult that there was always going to be some some teething problems, and I, I think we're probably seeing a bit of that now. Uh, I do think it'll be important for them to continue to be 
I think a bit adaptable with it as well, uh, you know, with the schedule, you know, be open to making sure that they, they facilitate these teams, you know, having a decent opportunity and not having this kind of silly thing uh, in terms of travel hanging over some of the some of the games. Um, uh, you know, they need to find a workable solution that makes it kind of fair and evens the playing field. And I think, look, we've mentioned the, the, the playing thing, and of course that's probably the most important thing. But it does also mean that if they're a week apart – pretty tricky for fans to come up and watch the games you know you can't save up a few quid and go you can't be um you know sorry you can't save up a few quid between the games to, to to help you go and there's some fanatical fans down in south africa that probably would go even though europe's probably a reasonably expensive trip for them um you know you also have the the planning aspect from a from a fan's perspective not just a team's perspective where you know you go you've two or three weeks to pick a good flight or you can head up for two or three you know does it there's ways around getting to the stadium that people probably would like to have the option to do but if you have a week between the games or six days just probably not really that realistic well is it so there's a few things that that do impact the, the competition negatively with those kind of travel implications and having the games are tight um but as I said, well, just to come in on that, like so, Le- for Leicester fans, if they wanted to come to Dublin, they had like five days to buy tickets. It was Good Friday, so Easter prices with flights and with accommodation, Dublin, which we already always know is very expensive. Like, no wonder they had less than five hundred tickets sold, you know, to their fans back in Leicester because that that was an outrageous, you know, kind of way of scheduling the game. And I know it's tight time frames, but as we said before, like so much of Europe and the history of the competition is built on the away days and the traveling fans. And for for Leicester to be kind of put in a position where they can only bring over a very small number of fans because of the schedule being so tight, it's just, it's just not a good place for the tournament to be in. And by all accounts, the broadcasters were told not to say that the game was going to be on Friday as well. Like Stephen Ferris made reference to that whenever they were on BT Sports. Yeah. Like people knew that game was going to be on Good Friday for weeks in advance. Like yeah, it, it exactly. was, but it wasn't like mentioned. Like people knew if Leinster won, like why couldn't they do a thing where like and people can take the risk and book flights. If if Leicester fans were bullish about beating Edinburgh, they could have said, okay, we know we're playing on Good Friday if we win, but they have to keep this hush hush for some reason. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a yeah, you know like the broadcasters were apparently not meant to mention it. I think it was James Ryan actually just came out and said it in his post-match interview. And that was, but this confirmation still didn't come for another two days of when the game was actually going to be. And, you know, you are talking about Good Friday at at that point, five days notice. You're talking about an eight o'clock kickoff, trying to find out a hotel in Dublin if you're coming over from Leicester, let alone the flight. You know, it's, it's impossible for fans. And if you think about this competition and what's made this competition great, in the past it is the sense of occasion around the games as much as it is the games and traveling fans are a huge part of that you've summed it up very well jonathan as as a view will i think um I think they did need to do a few changes with the competition. I, I like a lot of what they've done. Uh, I think it's still going to be a fluid enough process. We can see that uh, from obviously, you know, losing the uh, the the, um, the the back to backs, you know, the uh, that that we had last season, which I actually quite enjoyed. But I think obviously no one else did, uh, or very few did. Um, I quite like the home and away fixtures. But look, I think um, you know the the competition is still forming. It's still uh, gathering an audience. We've obviously got the South African element too. So it was always going to be tricky organization wise and you know six nations you've got a world cup on the horizon you know there was lots to contain with to contend with this year and i think uh you know as i said earlier on the key point here is they need to be adaptable and trying to find you know solutions to make this competition what it really should be and make and make sure that they do keep not just the team's uh preparation uh you know in mind but also the fans uh, who, who are looking to come and support their teams uh you know across the competition and, and i think the south african side of that is a brilliant um, 
new kind of you know new addition to to the competition for some of the traveling fans in, in europe who'd love to go down to south africa it's a brilliant place to go and tour and and, and watch a rugby match um so much to see and all that so yeah i think it's it, it is great to have them in um i do think they need a little bit of work on communication and uh, and organization but i think that will come provided they've got the right mindset on it so uh, I, i'm not too worried about it. i think you know the the competition has got has has captured the imagination for me i've been interested for a couple of weeks um posted the, the, the group stages are a bit tricky still but um since the last 16 i've been very interested in it and i think um you know it's in a good place and the, the semi-finals i mean we'll all be glued to all those games in a couple of weeks time so um yeah it's in a good place i think in terms of the everything else just the organization is the last piece of the puzzle i think yeah, it'd be interesting to see if we end up with our third straight all-French final in the Aviva Stadium in a row, 03 and 2013, <laughs> when we were hoping for an Irish representative. We, we got it all-French affair, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Jonathan, just before we wrap up, just to get the Ulster kind of perspective, you know, now they they finish off with two home games, winnable games against the Dragons in Edinburgh. What's the last couple of weeks been like post-Leinster? You know, you touched on the Don McFarlane comments earlier. Like, where, where are Ulster now, would you say, heading into the last couple of games of the regular season and then obviously a few playoff games potentially? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're in a bad place. Obviously, before the Leinster game, they secured their top four spot, which going back a few weeks had been no guarantee whatsoever. So they know that they're going to have that uh, quarterfinal at home. I don't, I don't see the Stormers slipping up in their in their next two games um which would allow us to get second i don't think that's uh i don't think that's going to happen so you're still in a position where not so much dead rubbers you still have to hold off the challenge of glasgow if you want to finish third but i think it gives ulster a pretty good opportunity to get rested to try a few things out and then to be going in as well as with the down weeks that we'll see for for the European semi-finals as well, to just ensure that they are going into uh, going into that quarter-final and potentially semi-final in a good place. And obviously, uh, I suppose just with the news as well of John Cooney's contract, Jacob Stockdale's contract, also we're able to squeeze some good news in at the end of what had been a bad week after that Leinster game to kind of turn the page in the minds of the fans as well. So. I think it'll be interesting to see see how they finish. I mean, I don't think at any point this year that you would say that they've played at a capacity that looks like it's going to win silver. But I would still be very interested to see how they go, especially if they do have to go to play the Stormers perhaps in a, in a semi-final and see how they deal with that challenge. And Jonathan, with all that in mind, what's your view, I suppose, on the Don McFarlane project generally? It's going to be the end of season five at the end of this current campaign. And obviously... They could still win a trophy this year, but is he still the right man? Do you think to take the project forward? Five seasons is a long time to be, a, a, you know, a, a, on top of a, of a club team. Is, do you think he's still the right man for them? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is interesting in the sense that this is the first season, I suppose, where there hasn't been an obvious improvement, whether it be in terms of results or whether it be in terms of progression through competitions like obviously this season is still to play out but as I said there you know I don't think they're anybody's favorites or second favorites to, to win the ERC and they're, they're already out of Europe so you know you could look at last season look at I suppose a little bit of bad luck in terms of a refereeing decision in the regular season game against the Stormers that the knock-on effect was sort of that the semi-final was played in played in Cape Town and in the 85th minute, Ulster were winning that game and then they would have had a final against the Bulls at home. And those are sort of the margins where 
it's felt like Silver has eluded them. It doesn't feel like they're that close this year. So in a lot of people's eyes, I think this year will be viewed as a backward step. And it's going to be very interesting to see how, if obviously they don't surprise us and go on and uh, win the ERC, what happens next year? You know, Do we see the attack get back into the groove that we haven't really seen this year? Do we see the likes of you know, James Hume, who's had his injury struggles this year, but you know, this time last year, people were talking about displacing Gary Ramos in the, the Ireland team on that New Zealand tour. You know, that's I suppose how much uh, things can change quickly. So I think there's a lot of players that they have to get back on form for starters, and I think realistically, as good as their mall is we need to see more from other avenues because we've seen against the best teams and I suppose the more physical teams that you can't rely on them all in the same way that they do to the ERC. So while there is still plenty to play for this season, I think those are going to be the question marks heading into next year. Yeah, Luke, I'll give you the last word. And do you think Dan McFarlane is still the right kind of head man for them? Yeah, I like Dan. I think it's been a difficult year for them. I think, uh, for whatever reason, the middle of the season really threw them off. Uh, I also think that, you know, whatever happened after November, um, you know, the players just fell off a bit of a cliff form-wise. So, um, you know, I think they've kind of righted that ship a little bit or steadied it. Um, you know, I think there is, it'll be interesting to see how they finish the season. I mean, that was a bit demoralizing, I thought, against... Um, against Leinster I didn't think they really fired a shot I was disappointed with them actually um, particularly given the conditions I thought they def- you know some of the again we talked about Leicester's defensive mistakes you know Ulster made some pretty similar ones um, you know and I wonder has Jared Payne's you know leaving Jared Payne leaving the club had, had, has that actually had a bit of an impact on them there they, they just don't look as stingy there when it really counts and uh, against the big teams you know they've had some reasonably big scores against them in some weird kind of games you think of that Leinster one the second half I mean that was a monster score the La Rochelle one big scores very quickly uh, you know just just looked a little bit leaky lacking belief um, you know I still think they're they're short a few uh, bodies you know I think uh, Vermeulen you know he's still excellent but I think he's not the player he was in terms of the dynamism um, you know I think you know they need another second row. They need they need a, a really top quality second row, I think, and to, to beef up that pack. And and they need Henderson to stay fit. I mean, that's been a huge problem for them, I think. Um, you know, I think if you have one more top quality uh, second row, uh, you know, I think that could transform that team. Um, I do think that 10 is still an issue for them. Uh, you know, we wait and see if, you know, what they decide to do if, or if they, t- my biggest concern is that they don't think that's a problem position for them. Uh, and it is a problem position for that team. I think there's too much quality outside them to, to not have a really top quality 10 run the show. Um, you know, and I, I'm concerned about them in, in, in that position uh, because I don't think they feel like it's a big problem. Um, and I think it is if they want to get to the next level, um, and uh, yeah, that's probably my thoughts on, on Ulster. I, I think it's the, how they finish the season is actually quite important. You know, I think there might be a little bit of pressure that builds on Dan if they don't finish, uh, you know, in a respectable manner uh, and at least look uh, like they are one of the top teams in the competition, which they are. You know, but if you look at the bodies they have, you look at the support they have, um, you know, you look at, you know, the, the club should be in a good place. Um, but they need to show it, you know, and I think while Silverware is probably looks like it's not on the cards this year at this point, given their form uh, and how they've played against the bigger teams, you know, a la kind of you know, the, the Leinster match last week, 
they still need to perform strongly and be be within touching distance um, and I think then you kind of say well look the pressure's off Dan provided that he can lure a few big names to the club uh, you know or, or a few astute make a few astute signings it doesn't even have to be big names just a few astute signings and a few key positions for them uh, I think the pack is still the, the issue along with 10 will um, but easier said than none to fill those holes Kitsoff looks like a good bit of business but I think you know you think of Sam Carter like I mean that, that to my mind seems like a mad mad decision I mean he he looks like he's is he fourth or fifth in the pecking order when everyone's fit there? That seems like a mad to have an overseas player uh, you kind of just kind of sitting on the bench. Um, that just doesn't sit right with me. I don't know about you guys. If you think, I mean, that seems like a really odd one, or it just hasn't worked out. But I think they do have space in the budget. They just need to pick the right guys. And I don't think they've done that to date. Actually, I think they could do with having getting a bit more out of those uh, foreign players. Yeah, well, as you said, a lot of lot to play for for Ulster over the next couple of weeks. Then we have that brilliant Leinster Toulouse game to look forward to but in the meantime I'd like to thank Jonathan and Luke for joining me on this week's episode of the Left Wing Podcast we'll be back next week with another episode looking back on all the latest action and in the meantime you can subscribe to us on Spotify Apple Podcasts or listen on independent.ie so until next time thanks for listening and goodbye This is an Irish Independent Podcast